the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. W.H. Weiskarper, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiskarper, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner Program, visit whyscarver.com. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome, welcome everybody to uh, part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Welcome back, Henry. Thank you, Tom. And joining us this week uh, for his first time uh, joining the roundtable is uh, former counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee turned author, uh, W.H. Carver. Bill, welcome back. Morning, and thanks. Um, let's see, where did I leave off? Oh, I know exactly where I left off. Um, the government, this is, this is a fascinating one. The government of Canada has formally invoked a 1977 treaty with the U.S. government that it says bars Michigan from forcing Enbridge, Inc. to close its controversial aging Line 5 oil pipeline under the Straits of Mackinac. Gordon Griffin, attorney for the Canadian government, notified a federal judge in Grand Rapids of the treaty invocation in a Monday, October 4th court filing, which requests that litigation between Enbridge and Michigan be paused 
while the two governments resolved the dispute. The formal request for negotiations under Article 9 of the 1977 Transit Pipelines Treaty was delivered to the U.S. through diplomatic channels on Monday. The treaty stipulates that no public authority in either the U.S. or Canada shall take measures that would have the effect of impeding, diverting, redirecting, or interfering with, in any way, the transmission of hydrocarbons in transit, Griffin wrote. The U.S. State Department did not immediately return a message seeking comment Monday afternoon. Is the, is the controversy over the aging Enbridge pipeline causing an international incident? And has this ever happened before? Hmm. Not today. Uh, I, yeah, I can't, I'm sure there must have been some, some examples, but I can't think of one. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering here, I mean, I'm, I, I'll leave it to the courts, but I would think the treaty is probably going to have precedence over state laws in this con- if, if that's the full context of the treaty. Uh, I don't know. You know, no, I, I'm... Paul, Paul's absolutely right. I mean, it, 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 it will take precedence. The issue, is, the issue is, is why would they be doing such a thing? Uh, the, you know, any time you have a, a something, you know, NAFTA or, or a pipeline or something like that, it has to go through the State Department, and that, of course constitutionally is is a federal issue the the issue is is that if this thing is if this pipeline is in trouble i don't think the people of michigan are going to be too happy about that yeah well the the, the worry is that it runs it runs under the uh the uh detroit river bridge and there's the fear that it could uh could break and and, and pollute the great lakes and that's that's been the main fear over that line five business Oh, I just thought this pipeline was uh, down under Detroit River. That's not the one we're talking about, right? Right, right. This one runs... Uh, oh, okay, yeah. This is, this but, is Line 5 that runs under but, the Mackinac Bridge. What confused me there is that, that, that the governor, or the leader in Canada, called it hydrocarbons instead of petroleum. Hydrocarbon is used to as a gaseous substance, and that flipped me for a moment. Then I realized that he was talking about petroleum. Because we do transfer hydrocarbons, too, between in the air from one, by the prevailing winds across the Detroit River into Canada. So, yeah, I'm glad you clarified that. But it's just been a hot-button issue here in Michigan for a long time about whether they shut that down or not. Um, and uh, and like I say, the, the fear is that you know a, some damage to the pipeline up and up by the the Mackinac Bridge, or boat anchor hits it, or something of that nature, could cause an oil spill that could do frankly more damage in the Great Lakes than you would see in the ocean, as is going on in California right now, because everything is so contained within the lakes. But but the two countries can get together and put a safe, secure system in, and. I'm gonna hope so. Yeah, and we've talked about that for a long time, and most engineers and most uh, people who look at this uh, conveyance system knows that that, that are, is possible. But we got to get past the politics first. Yeah. Is, is that the issue? Is the issue then uh, a safety? Henry, I... I, I think it is. Contamination of the Great Lakes. You remember the Great Lakes has 
80% of the world's first water supply. We're surrounded by it. Free water. Fresh water. Fresh water. Yeah. And so we got we to gotta tender that. We got to treat it like it's a, a treasure. Well, and, and I and, agree with that. And, Bill, the problem well, is, is that that pipeline is aging. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and that, there again, it sounds to me like the companies that are making money off that pipeline are saying, Jesus, this is a diplomatic yeah. treaty going to Congress, and you guys are going to have to fix it, not us. And I think therein lies the issue. I think it's an interesting <laughs> legal challenge in a battle that's been going on now for what, Paul? Two years? Three years? At least that long. <laughs> yeah. Remember, Governor Snyder said that he that the Canadians were going to pay for it. No, that was the bridge. <laughs> yeah, that was, oh, that was, that was another issue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm back down to Detroit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're yeah. right. Yeah, that was the the second bridge yeah. in Detroit yeah, over, okay. to, over to yeah. Canada. Yeah, I, I hear all this politics, and, and I, I, sorry, it's just maybe the way I look at things. Uh, you know, I, I hear economics in that one. I yes. think the governor needs to sit down with the companies involved and, the you know, on both sides of the border and say, okay, guys, we got a problem here. We're not going to pollute the, we're not going to pollute the lakes. We've got an aging pipeline. You guys want to make money. Let's see what we can work out. Yeah. I was thinking, uh, as an abstract idea, I'm not necessarily opposed to pipelines, particularly when I sit, sit uh, by a railroad crossing and watch these mile-long lines of uh, tanker <laughs> cars go by, <laughs> which are, I suspect are probably more, more dangerous and more risky than pipelines. But if they're done right, I think maybe a pipeline might even be a wiser choice than these endless lines of railroad cars. Yeah, and it'll only be about four or five miles long at the most. And in a vault, contained in a vault with secondary containment. See, that's what and, we've talked about, Henry, you know, over the last couple of years, whenever this issue would come up and, and the the controversy would, would go back and forth or some legal challenge would be made. You know, we've, we've talked about secondary containment as as being the the real solution to this and and we haven't we haven't seen any movement on that on either side well the what they visualize as the as the ideal solution is to have this system in a vault first a concrete vault and then to to put valves every 400 feet so if you have a break anywhere along that line that 500 miles you can shut it off at that point and then contain the oil within the vault and pump well, it Remember, up. There, there were some there were some drawings that, that I presume yes. the company produced that showed a a tunnel under the Mackinac Bridge yes. that you could actually walk through. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. It was simply a drawing, nothing more than that that I'm aware of. But uh, it was uh, uh, going to be kind of an under underwater tunnel connecting the the lower and the upper peninsulas of Michigan. Yeah, and we know it can. We know it can work because we drive from Detroit to Canada underwater every day. That's right. That's Hundreds right, of yeah. people go through it. We know it can work, and that that, that bridge or vault or whatever you want to call it, underground highway, has been there for years and years and years. And I've never heard of anybody being killed by a leak or. 
a rush of water into the tunnel. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. So we know it can work over long periods of time. We just got to get past the politics. And, and there it is. I, you know, I hate to say I told you so. Once you know the issues, the solutions become obvious. Mm-hmm. And, and you, there, there, here's, and you, you all know this issue. This is your home. And you already understand what's going on. Now, how come we're having this argument? Uh, you know, why, why, why is this going back and forth for so many years? I, it doesn't make any sense. Well, it's um, it's it's economics on one side of the aisle, and it's ecology on the other. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's that's my point. That's my point. There, it isn't it isn't one or the other. It's both. What we have the solutions. I, I know. I you know, I'm quoting from the book again. But you know, I the idea is we have the technology. We have the scientific knowledge. We we understand. The, the capital resources that are required for this. We understand the technology, scientific, uh, environmental, uh, however you want to look at it. So we already know what needs to be done here. What's the next step? And then it gets right back to what Henry said. we got to get the politics out of it. Well, I wonder if it stands a better chance of getting to that when it's being uh, argued between the two state departments of the U.S. and Canada, as opposed to the company and the governor's office. That's Not really, really, because what happens then is that you have the uh, Canada's going to say, "Okay, well, we'll do that, but we want X, Y, and Z," and the state department going, "Well, we can't give you Y, but we can give you X and D." and well, wait a minute, you know, maybe Mexico will want something like this from in the South. Well, geez, you know, what about, um, you know, what about uh, uh, Cuba? You know, if we do that, then we've got to do Bill, you're absolutely right. I've dealt with, I, I've dealt with uh, um, <laughs> State Department, you know, they, they they tend to not they tend to want to break everything into a, a world shaking order, you know. So well, you know, and, and we say, and, you know, and we, we know. can point at the Germans who are who are um, buying or ha- building pipelines to Russia if we're going to have a problem with Canada, you know. So th- this is the problem. Whereas in the meantime, you know, uh, you all you all are sitting there going. Hey, I don't want oil polluting the Great Lakes. Right, right, and and we know from experience, Bill, that Mexico isn't going to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Any, anyway, we, we've got to we've got to take another break here, and uh, and we've got some uh, interesting stuff from Washington and beyond uh, coming up after the break. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM, our voices radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions, and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program coming up right after this break. 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back as we continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bill Weiscarver. Um, Two prominent political operatives, one a Democrat and one a Republican, announced Monday they are launching a ballot drive to have Michigan join a movement among states to have the presidency decided by the nationwide popular vote. Mark Brewer, an election law attorney who is a former chairman of the Michigan Democratic Party, also uh, an alumnus of this show, and uh, Saul Anuzis, a political consultant who is uh, a former chairman of the Michigan Republican Party and former member of the Republican National Committee, announced the national popular vote petition drive at a Monday news conference. If enough states sign on to the plan, the U.S. would keep the electoral college system, but the presidential candidate who wins the nationwide popular vote would be guaranteed the White House. If the country moves to a nationwide popular vote to decide the presidency, what would be the purpose of keeping the Electoral College? Yeah, how does that make sense? That's a good point, good point Tom. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it'd be kind of an archaic thing, and maybe, it's maybe for the ceremony of it all. Henry knows about the ceremony of it all. Sure. But as I say, it would be, it would be kind of irrelevant in practice. I'm in total agreement. Is, are they just uh, avoiding the uh, necessity for a constitutional amendment? Well, it's, it's an easier way around that, because an, an amendment's going to take, you know, the, the two-thirds and three-quarters votes to, to amend the Constitution. So this way is one way around the amending process, and, and that might even raise some legal, you know, if and when this actually goes into operation full blast, that could raise some legal issues. But uh, it's a way around the amending, the amending process in some ways. Uh, I don't understand why anybody would want to do that that really understands the political process, especially in this country. I agree with you. Dump, dump the Electoral College and go to a nationwide vote? Yes. Yeah, yes. And the, the beauty of the electoral system, and, and a lot of people just don't talk about it, is that, is that if, if they did away with that, if they just had the popular vote, then... If you don't live in, uh, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's several, but if you don't live in Pennsylvania, New York, Texas, California. Big states. Yeah, I mean, then then you might as well not even worry about voting because your vote's going to mean nothing. That's yeah. the beauty of the electoral system. Yes. And I think, I think the people in Wyoming, I think they have like 250,000 people in Wyoming. I, I, think, I think they have as much right to elect a president as uh, the people in California. Um, you know, so, so that is the beauty of the electoral system, is that it makes it... it Brings allows. parity to the small, yes, yes. Yeah. the little guy. Although in, in our winner-take-all system, it does mean that if you are a minority party, your vote may not matter. If you're a Republican in California for president... In a sense, your vote's not going to really help your party. Or if you're a uh, if you're a Democrat in Alabama or Mississippi, your vote's not going to help your party either. So, in, in a sense, the electoral system does disenfranchise people within the states in some ways. 
And, and but, I, I would, that's, that you're absolutely, you're, you're right, Paul. I, the, the, the difference <clears throat> is, is that, that, you know, I might not get what I want, but the country is, is being fully yeah. dis- distributed that everyone is, has a say in it. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I can move, you know, um, I, I, I can I can move to have this done or that done. I can vote for this or that, and and it's a majority of my state. The people that vote for a Republican candidate for president in California, you could say, well, waste of vote. No, in California, I, mean, I would suggest that in California, you're you're saying, okay, you're voting your conscience. But uh, the majority of people in your state believe this is the better way to go. And I'm not agree know, with that, but that's the way it is. But, you know, and <clears throat> the people who put the country together in those times faced the same kind of issues and the pressures that we face today. But they thought through all of this stuff. Of course, they were threatened by all kind of countries around us, France, Spain, Germany, Russia, all of those people who wanted segments of this country, uh, should uh, there be no united government after uh, the, the Continental Congress. And so those people... Are you there, Henry? Hello? Yeah, I think, I think we might have lost Henry. We lost Henry, I, yeah. Or at least we're not getting his audio. Anybody else want to... Jump in. He might, I was just going to say it, it, the, the electoral college is an interesting kind of thing. In its very earliest days, the assumption was you wouldn't be going out there to vote for a George Washington or a John Adams. You'd vote for for Henry Hatter on the assumption that Henry would carry out your wishes. So the the, the initial assumption in the very earliest days was that you would actually vote for the elector that you happen to like and let them go make the decision about who was going to be president. Now it didn't work that way very long. But at least that was one of the initial assumptions when they first put together the Electoral College. Guys, I'm sorry I was off the line for I got this interview. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, I got, All right. Well, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you fine now. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I Go ahead with what you were doing. We, okay. we, we, we lost your electoral votes, Henry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what would happen in real life. Right? Yeah, yeah. You got to be a minority. You got It was also... Uh, help to the the vanquished, the minority vote, the more minority point of view was represented by the electoral college. So they really thought it out well, uh, and the country was put together with all of those barriers. They were able to put together this country. Today we can't put two peas together in a box. Well, and here's a, a stunning example of that coming up here, Henry. Republicans don't want the nation to default on its debts, and they support more funding for roads and bridges, yet they're fully prepared to oppose bills that would achieve both those goals. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is doubling down on his months-long threats to block any uh, efforts to hike the debt ceiling, arguing Democrats control all the levers of power in Washington and have a responsibility to raise it on their own, even though Republicans did so numerous times under former President Donald Trump with the help of Democrats. 
Meanwhile, Republicans in the House are growing more entrenched in their opposition to a bipartisan infrastructure package that was crafted by members of the Senate GOP, warning its passage would pave the way for Democrats' massive economic and social spending bill. It's not unusual for the minority to resist whatever the party in power is doing, but when it comes to both the debt ceiling and infrastructure, Republicans don't actually oppose the substance of what Democrats are trying to accomplish. Instead, Republicans believe they are extracting maximum political gain or maximum political pain from Democrats and showcasing divisions within the Democratic ranks that will make voters believe President Joe Biden's party is incapable of governing ahead of next year's midterms. Republicans aren't even sweating the blowback for being labeled as hypocritical, obstructionist, or irresponsible. In fact, they feel confident that Democrats will bear the blame for bringing the nation to the brink of economic catastrophe. Are Republicans in Congress so bent on beating Democrats that they won't even let them pass things that the Republicans support? No, I I don't think that. You know, Republicans are like everybody else. They vary in their views. There are many Republicans that support raising the debt ceiling. And they're going to, they're going to support that side that they believe is good for the country, and, and rather than a partisan uh, perspective on everything. There are people out there who believe in the country, its people, in the Constitution. And some of them are Republicans. And... and, and uh, they, they, of course, are going to do what they feel is best for the country. And if the debt that we need to resolve, they're going to they're gonna lean to that side, as they should, because that's important to them. But they should not let political ideology uh, steer them through the whole process, because you know, that's I, not I, good governance. I, I've seen one kind of, uh, kind of sidebar issue to this whole thing, and the question is, why do we even have a debt ceiling? I mean, we, in a sense, when we decide to spend the money, we're committed to pay the bill. And uh, yeah. it's as if saying, well, I've got a $10,000 limit on my credit card, but uh, I, I'm going to try and spend twelve this this time around. Uh, in other words, maybe we ought to get rid of the debt ceiling altogether and stop playing games with it. Because but we the government would grow without bounds if we don't have some restraint on it. Well, it would, it would eat itself to death from the inside. The debt ceiling has never stopped us from doing that kind of stuff. All we do is keep raising it. So it's, but you know, one, I, one you country, agree. You I know? agree. I yeah. agree. Now, we, here, and I've talked about this in the past, and I think you guys have agreed with it. We have, we raise the taxes openly. We go to our leadership and say, we need to raise the taxes in the United States uh, uh, so much through incise tax and income tax and all of that stuff. And then at the end of the year, we automatically tack on the, this big, humongous amount of money to add through all of the taxes that we raised throughout the year, which is, and the people don't understand this. I do, you guys do, and somehow we have to help the country try to realize that spending money to that degree is not good for the country. You can talk about race, you can talk about gender, you can talk about wealth gaps and all of that stuff, but somebody has to think about the country first. I mean, first Well, and the intention, yeah. the intention of a debt ceiling 
was always, you know, do what you want with the budget, but don't go over this amount. Yes, that's right. That's it. But then we keep going over it. Don't eat yourself to death. Don't eat your kids. Yeah. And, and, and after, uh, we, after we spend the money, then we say, "Oh my God, we got to pay the bill now," and then we have to raise it. So it's, and it's, and Chris <laughs> Chris Douglas was talking about how silly this system is when you you know are in the budget process and you decide to spend new money and add you know to the to the deficit and the the cap that you've set for yourself you just ignore and set whatever budget you want and then oh yeah. we'll, we'll just we'll just raise the cap see the american people don't understand that yet if they knew what was going on they'd be enraged <laughs> they understood it <laughs> oh henry yeah that is, that is so correct i mean that that actually that actually is should be the quote of the week for next week. <laughs> if, if Americans knew what was going on, they'd be upset. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> True. It, it, the the issue the issue with the debt ceiling and and what they're doing is people really don't understand. I I totally agree with Paul and Henry that that it's this is all a political theater. And we try to look at, well, how can we change it? How can we fix it? Basically, the Democrats right now can go into uh, budget reconciliation, and they could do it themselves. Uh, the, the Republicans' holdout is nothing more, is nothing more than them uh, you know, playing the political game of, like, oh, this is all the Democrats' fault. The they want to. They want a campaign in in twenty twenty two that the Democrats blew up the budget. Exactly. Exactly. But but you, <laughs> right. see, you know you you want to you want to talk about that. I mean, but you may have done irreconcilable damage to the country that you can't bring back. Well, uh, uh, well, we've already exceeded GDP for the first time since World yeah. War Two. That's right. You. you You've 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 already done that. I mean, uh, in yeah, we 19- spent the money already. It's just a matter of paying the bills now. Exactly. Nineteen sixty-five to nineteen sixty-eight, um, with LBJ's the biggest war we had since World War Two in Vietnam. Uh, the all the social spending, passing the civil rights, the urban renewal, all of the you know uh, Medicare, Medicaid, that all that came out during his administration. He ran up a deficit of $44 billion. We are now, right now, um, putting out approximately $85 billion a month in deficit spending. Anybody can go to the, the national, anybody can go to the, the National Debt Clock, uh, Pete Peterson Foundation. You can mm-hmm. Google it and you can see what that is. It's over $28 billion or $28 trillion now. And right. there doesn't seem to be any stop. Now, people say, well, geez, it doesn't make any difference because it's already so much. What people don't understand is how this devalues our dollar, and that is the, that is the real issue. Well, I was, talking, uh, our I was talking during the first hour of the show this morning with economist Chris Douglas uh, from University of Michigan, and he mentioned that $44 billion number, Bill, and he said, you know, by today's standards, that, that would have been a balanced budget. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's almost loose change today. <laughs> well, I was, I, I was on the Hill when, you know, they came to 
Well, it was immediately after. We did the budget reconciliation in 1990. Um, but it, in 1987, the Graham Rudman Hollings came up and, you know, fanfare and everybody was ranting and raving because the deficit was reaching, was reaching a trillion dollars. And now you can see what's happened. And everybody's just ignored it uh, since. Um, so what what we're what we're seeing is is just to the point where these numbers don't even make any sense. I mean right now you've got you've got about one point eight billion dollars I think in M one, M one being cash and coins in the economy. So how how is it that we have a twenty eight trillion dollar if you you know a twenty eight trillion dollar deficit with um, a twenty three trillion dollar economy and yet you know even if you add in m2 you know the m1 m2 supply i don't remember exactly but m2 is is you know your deposits on everything else i mean you're still only looking at about three billion dollars of cash out there so where's the rest of this money going yeah yeah no well, and, and Chris said this morning, Chris Douglas uh, from U of M said this morning that back in the day when it was $44 billion, it would have taken 40% of all the money that everyone had to wipe out our debt. And he said today it's over 100%. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think anyway, uh, those numbers... Those numbers uh, anybody are who's interested, I, I would I really suggest going to that debt clock. You can just Google. It. Um, you know, I think it's <laughs> I think it's we each owe we each as American citizens, man, woman, and child, uh, eighty six thousand dollars each on that. On that, you know. So, it, uh, do these numbers even make sense anymore? Um, you know, and and what people don't understand is, you know, as an example, I mean, I can only. Uh, for the first 10 years of my working life, you know, when I started about 11 years old, I, I worked at minimum wage, and the minimum wage at that time was about $1.50 an hour. Um, mm -hmm. And people, and I, uh, uh, that was fine with me. And people say, oh, well, you know, we need to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. And people say, well, geez, you know, all these people worked here. When I was making $1.50 an hour, you could go to the movies, and it would cost 60 cents. A, a carton of eggs costs twenty-eight cents. Now it costs fifteen dollars just to go to, to a movie theater. You know buy eggs. Or What are they going for? Like four dollars now? Four dollars. Yeah. Now for the good ones. I mean, well, but see, this, this is the point. People don't understand. This is why you could buy a brand new car in like nineteen. 1965 for $7,000, uh, whereas you're now you're going to have to pay $60,000 for a new car. That's yeah. that's yeah. far. Well, I'm, I mean, my, I'm always rem my parents, reminded of that, so that famous, uh, I think it's an Ab Dirksen quote in terms of federal budgets, you know, a billion here and a yeah. billion there before you know what you're talking about real money. That's, yeah. Isn't it the truth? I mean, you know, people don't even realize in the 1970s, the defense budget if you go back and read some of those things, I know everybody's just in a, in a hurry to do that. You know, go back and congressional congressional record, and, and you could look at that. They don't even list like something you know, like the defense budget would have been 
250,000 millions. They didn't even have billions in those days. <laughs> they didn't even call it that. Uh, now we're talking trillions. I mean, there is mm -hmm. not, there isn't a trillion dollars in the world. In the, if you added up the entire world, so where where is this all this fiat capital going? And I think that is the most important question for Americans. And it doesn't matter what side of what side of the belief you're on. It's uh, you know what 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 side um, of the politics you're on. They not need to only start asking where's that serious going? issue, Bill. Not only where is it going, where did it come from? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we, we know yeah. that. <laughs> just we, we know where that says. Well, I mean, you know, and basically the way the system works is, is a little simplification, but not too far. So the issue is, the issue is, the Treasury says, "Hey, we need money," and so they say, "Okay." So the Fed, so they go to the Fed and say, we need money. And the Fed says, okay, we want to borrow, we want to borrow uh, X amount, X billion amount, and we'll pay you, you know, in debt, we'll pay 0.01% for that. The Fed takes that and hands it to the banks for 0.04%. For and then the banks loan it back to the government at 1.26%. I mean, mm -hmm. basically, that's what <laughs> the system is right now. And so, you know, the Republican, the Republicans know this, the Democrats know this, and this is not, this is about, the American people need to understand what what is the basis of these arguments. Are you, do you, do you want environment? Of course, you want to, you want to, uh, you want to change, uh, Change the way we do business. Uh, you want to get rid of uh, coal and oil? Uh, okay, well, there, there's something we can look at. But the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, is that you're going to have to first deal with how you're going to pay these things and how are these things going to pay back. Anyway, yeah, that's that, my yeah. That is that is the that is the question. Um, We've got a uh, we've got about a minute and a half before we go to break. I was going to bring up something about abortion, and I don't think we're going to cover it in a minute and a half. Um, but um, any final thoughts before we go to break? Well, well you, you mentioned, know, mentioned the Supreme Court is starting a session. Maybe that's what you're referring to, Tom. I there's a lot of big issues coming. No, up actually, there. I was going to talk about a uh, Republican Florida state lawmaker who introduced a bill like the one in Texas. Oh, oh, and and the question I was going to ask is is uh, are anti-abortion activists adopting the old NRA strategy um, by attacking Roe v. Wade state by state? Hmm. Isn't that how the NRA waged its war against gun control legislation? Yeah, I think in many ways that's true. Yeah. Anyway, and yeah. and I was hoping that that would lead into a little discussion about the Supreme Court being back in session. But as I said, we're we're just about out of time in this segment, and I have a couple. Have of, I got thirty seconds? You have exactly thirty seconds. Uh, I want to thank Bill. I want to thank our new man on the roundtable for inspiring Paul and me, because he makes us better because he asks good questions and very knowledgeable and one of those people i believe is 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 balanced in his approach to politics he, so he makes sense 
to people like we who sit around the round table trying to see, Bill, uh, find ways we, of bringing solutions to problems. See, thank Bill, you. Bill, we think more. Well, thank you. We think you're more than a cog here. <laughs> we'll be back with more right after this. To the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back as Armchair Politics concludes today on uh, the Tom Sumner program with my favorite segment, those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. And uh, it starts out with, um, I think it's pronounced uh, Behan Mutlu, 51 years old, went drinking with a friend in a forest uh, in northwest Turkey late Tuesday. His wife reported him missing after he did not return home, and she heard he had walked away from his friend drunk. <laughs> rescue, teams, <laughs> rescue teams were called in to find Mutlu, who had gone to sleep in a house in the forest, according to Turkish online news site T24. He came across members of the search party in the morning and decided to help them find the missing person. (laughs) He he realized he was the focus of the search when they began calling his name. Mutlu Mutlu said he was part of the search team for more than half an hour. Is joining a search party a, a pretty good way to find yourself? <laughs> uh, I guess that's the place to start. <laughs> that's too funny. Sullivan's <laughs> <It's> great. <laughs> I, I love next, that story. Uh, the guy gets the guy gets drunk and falls asleep in a cabin, and he gets out, and everybody's searching the woods for him, and he decides to help. I, I love that story. Uh, let's see. Um, Well, it seems unlikely, but it did indeed happen. A man wearing full ninja garb attacked members of a U.S. Army Special Operations Unit in the middle of the night in the California desert, (laughs) setting off a scramble for safety and resulting in at least two injuries, according to police and other records. The incident occurred a little after 1 a.m. on September 18th. And uh, let's see, where am I? Uh, when authorities in Ridgecrest, California, got word of a sword wielding man dressed as a ninja on the loose <laughs> at uh, the airport in Kern County, north of Los Angeles, Kern County Sheriff's deputies found the suspect had assaulted a victim at the scene with a sword and thrown a rock through a hangar window, hitting an additional victim in the head, the sheriff's office said Friday. Police officers located the ninja suspect on a nearby road, but the man refused to follow commands and brandished the sword at deputies, according to the sheriff's office. Projectile rounds were used, but were ineffective. 
Instead, the man ran. When deputies used a taser on him, he dropped the sword and deputies were able to take him into custody. <laughs> he was identified as 35-year-old Gino Rivera. Rivera was arrested for attempted homicide, assault with a deadly weapon, brandishing a weapon, brandishing a weapon with the intent to resist or prevent an arrest, along with vandalism and obstructing or delaying a peace officer in the performance of their duties, uh, the sheriff's office said. Both the sergeant and the captain required stitches for their wounds, but were, were cleared, but were cleared to return to duty. The incident report says. How did this not end up like bringing a sword to a gunfight? <laughs> That's about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it sounds like it did. I, I when they said projectiles, maybe they were using rubber bullets on them. That's did, that's what I thought. Look at that says. No, I. <laughs> it was just uh, some guy dressed up as a ninja with a sword went berserk <laughs> on a bunch of army guys. <laughs> uh. Well, here's a good one. <clears throat> Excuse me. An elderly Florida man was seen leading state troopers on a slow-speed chase in a viral video. The bizarre encounter happened northbound on the Florida Turnpike, somewhere near mile marker 9, just after 4.30 p.m. At least three Florida state trooper vehicles can be seen following the man on his scooter who is driving on the left shoulder. Uh, he is decked out in a white golf hat and red polo shirt, driving well below the turnpike speed limit of 70 miles per hour, as the video clearly shows. Florida Highway Patrol told Fox News that troopers responded to the area and made contact with a 75-year-old Hispanic male who told them he had accidentally gotten on the highway and didn't know how to exit. <laughs> the troopers escorted the man to the next exit ramp to a safe location off the highway. Shouldn't the Florida Turnpike have a scooter lane? <laughs> yeah, probably should at this, at this point, yeah. So. But that is not, that is not its role. This, its role this, is to provide transportation for vehicles that greater than what? Fifteen horsepower? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the what the uh, I think like requirements yeah. are anymore. Um, this it just reminded me of the guy down in Pontiac who got arrested at a at a Rite Aid or a Walgreens or something because he had driven his uh, riding lawnmower up to the drugstore. Oh, yeah. oh, I recall that story. Yeah, I recall that too. Yeah. And 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 what he got arrested for was drunk driving. <laughs> he had a few beers and he's out mowing the lawn and just decided to. Yeah, of course he. Yeah, he he mowed a lot of people's lawns on the way to to the drugstore. <laughs> <laughs> Helped his neighbors a lot. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, that wraps up uh, armchair politics uh, today um, and and the X Files. Um, I, I did want to mention, I was going to take a minute and play the song, but I don't think we have enough time to squeeze it in. Today's uh, pick again, yesterday and today, in, uh, in uh, Schlocktober. Oh, that's was, right, um, yeah. Uh, yesterday and today I had uh, William Shatner featured because he's uh, not 
happy just having been Captain Kirk all these years. He's actually going into space now. <laughs> yes, that's right. But, but, and I'm so glad for him because he really set a vision that we had never seen before, and he did a good job at it. He was an excellent captain, Captain James T. Kirk of Star Trek Enterprise. Where no man has ever gone before, yeah. or a woman. <laughs> now, I, now I think he's going where no actor has ever gone before. That's right. <laughs> I, yes. I don't know if he should have gone uh, as far as uh, trying to redo Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, got, you got to hear it. Uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> as as we were getting ready to start today's show. Um, I, I, as always, I want to thank our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, who are here week after week. Um, thanks, guys. You guys are, are just absolutely terrific every week, and I'm looking forward to going to hell with you. <laughs> we'll have a good time going <laughs> to hell together. <laughs> In fact, um, right. you know, I, I sent a note to uh, Janworth Nelson from East Village Magazine, who is a, a frequent uh, participant in our roundtable, and invited her to come down to hell with us on the 27th. Basically, I told her if she wanted, did she want to go to hell with armchair politics? And, um, and she wrote me back. She said, I've been waiting for years to be invited. Because we always do this. <laughs> We, we, we do. Um, until last year, because of the pandemic, every year when it gets close to Halloween, we do a remote from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, which is uh, down near Pinckney, um, just north of Ann Arbor. And, uh, and, and it's always a lot of fun when we go down, and, and we have a lot of fun with it. Anyway, she's going to be uh, joining us for that on the 27th. But I also want to take the, the minute or so that we have left to thank Bill for his uh, inaugural joining of uh, the minds here on the, on the round. No, I, I really, really, Tom, I mean, thank you. Uh, one, of the, one of the issues that I found after being in the trenches for as long as I was um, is that being a writer, it's really kind of strange. You sit by yourself and talk to yourself. So it's always, it's so informative, <laughs> so helpful to sit there and listen to people and, and to, to exchange ideas with people like, like Paul and Henry. And I, I really thank you and I appreciate it because I always, I always learn something. And, and so it, it's just been a pleasure for me. Thank you. Great to have you here, Bill. Well, and Bill, I hope you'll join Thanks. us again sometime. W.H. Carver uh, is uh, former National Security Advisor and Counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee turned author of The Resurrection Saga and its most recent installment, Twilight of Empire. Bill, it's, it's, uh, it's been a real pleasure. I can't, I, and I'm always surprised um, how fast the two hours goes. I'd like to get Bill's book. Well, yeah. buy, well, buy it during the month of October. <laughs> yeah, that's not, it, it's it's my only it's my little uh, uh, it's random acts of support. Find find a good find a good medium, find a good place, and see what you can do to help. And that's all that it's about. Well, thanks everybody. I'll be back tomorrow Thank with you. another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.